Well, I'm thankful to see everyone here today. Thankful for my friend Bill Dollins. It's good to see you. Thankful he's got people that'll bring him and help him to be a part of our family here. Let, let's pray here before we uh, share God's word. Lord, we're thankful today for the great privilege of sharing your word. We're thankful for the great privilege of your word. And we pray now that you will anoint it to each heart as you see fit in Jesus' name. Amen. I also want to say we're here this week celebrating Independence Day. Thankful that we have our flags out to celebrate. I remember as a child all through elementary school and high school, we began our day with the flag salute in every room. We stood up. Uh, there was no horseplay. It was a very serious and sacred time. And we put our hands over our hearts and pledged allegiance to the flag. And then we said the Lord's Prayer. And it was a very normal part of our day. There were no objections. No one upset. It just was something that brought great security and calm to the classroom. I'm thankful that we can celebrate our Independence Day every day. When God has come to our heart and freed us from the bondage of sin. Thankful. Last night as I was sitting in our front room about nine, between 9.30 and 10, I saw a great celebration outside our window. Our neighbors were just, I mean, it was quite a display. And I was thinking that's so exciting that people are excited and celebrating. But I'd like to talk about something today that's more exciting and deserves more celebration than our Independence Day of our nation. I'd like to begin with Psalms 107, verse 1 and 2. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. He is love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. And in the King James Version, it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Speak up. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands and from the east and west and from the north and south. He says, say this. Now, this psalm uh, was written to celebrate. It was a celebration of an independence also. It was the independence, the celebration of the return of the Jews from exile in Babylon after 70 years. They were in exile uh, in Babylon longer than I've been alive. Not much. <laughs> they were in exile for 70 years. I've been breathing air for 69. The author of this uh, psalm is unknown. Uh, we can't uh, attribute it to David or to Moses or anyone like that. It's unknown. But this psalm speaks of four different types of people in distress celebrating their independence and how God rescues them. There were wanderers. If you'll, if you'll take time when you get home, some of you will, some of you won't. But in chapter 107, read the whole chapter, and it talks about the four different in types of situations to where they're celebrating uh, God delivering them in their distress. There were wanderers, there were people that were lost and finding no home or purpose for 70 years, just wandered in, in exile, going from place to place, trying to avoid any conflict, and yet ended up in great conflict. 
There were prisoners that rebelled against the word of God and his counsel, and they were sitting in darkness and gloom. There were the sick and the afflicted. Some became fools, and the definition of a fool is someone who acts unwisely or imprudently, and imprudently is not caring about the consequences of an action. Does that sound familiar today? I had a dear friend that was making a major wrong decision, and he was uh, uh, deciding to abandon his family, his wife and kids. And I spoke to him the night before he left. I said, this is the biggest mistake you'll ever make in your life, and it will affect everything and everyone that loves you. And he couldn't hear me, and his response was, I'm doing it anyway. There were daughters that didn't have a daddy to walk them down the aisle. There are grandbabies that's never met their grandpa because of a decision came out of a foolish heart and imprudently and didn't consider the consequences of their action through their rebellious ways. Fourth, there were the storm tossed. There were some merchants and went out in merchant ships. They got lost at sea. Some suffered, per suffered peril on the high seas. And in their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. I know a little bit about that because I suffer from vertigo and sometimes it's severe. If you ever see me on a cane, you know vertigo's come to visit me for a while. But they were at their wits' ends. Have you ever been at your wits' end? Ever been in wits' end corner to where you're backed up into a corner and you just don't know which way to turn? I remember that moment in my, uh, uh, when I was a 20-year-old young man that was full of rebellion and hatred. And God one night spoke to my heart when I was under the influence of drug and alcohol and just ruining my life. And he said, is this what you want? Spoke it to my heart. And I can remember saying, no. It got me in touch with the misery and the emptiness and the loneliness and the, and the, the, the way my life was being tossed to and fro, the way I was a prisoner to my own choices that I said I didn't care and they took me to places I didn't want to go, and they kept me there longer than I ever intended. But in my distress, God heard my cry, and my Independence Day came. They cried out to the Lord in trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm with a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. This psalm praises God's works. It recounts the blessings of righteous living. It thanks God for deliverance. And it praises God for his word. Instruction and response that we can take heed to and help us in our daily lives. They remind us that the best sacrifice we can offer to God is a faithful and obedient life. I've had people over and over and over again in the 40 years I've been in the ministry, Pastor Jerry, if I just knew what God wanted me to do, if I knew God's will, well, I just shared it for every one of us. He wants us to be faithful 
and obedient to what God has for our heart. Not what somebody else tries to put on you. But as we have a relationship with Christ and we step into the independence and the, the freeing from the chains of sin and self and humble ourselves to God, we begin to find a way and his will is like no other way. He is loving and kind to those who are distressed. As we should be, as we should show, show the same concern for others who are in distress. And as uh, the scripture said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I forget quite the phrase of the song, but it was right in line with what I was want to share. Take courage, my soul. Don't uh, get shy on me. There's so many things that we celebrate and and, uh, speak up about. And then when it comes to uh, celebrating or sharing a word for Christ, all of a sudden there's a shyness and a withdrawal that comes within us. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So today I'd like to attempt to define two different functions of the church and focus on one of them. We're doing really well on one of them. I tell you, it was our announcements covered it. Outreach. Outreach is being visible in the community. Serving, being visible, loving the community. But there's another aspect to our calling, and that is called personal evangelism. And that isn't a group effort, but it is a function of God's church, the true church of the living God. So outreach is being seen. Evangelism is being heard, sharing what God has done for us, making clear the gospel so that others can step into it too. As I said, we're doing a great job of being seen, having outreach, helping in other functions in the community. There's bridges, there's urban outreach, there's the uh, recovery groups that we're helping. But today, I'd like to address the topic that makes most of us cringe. I wanted to name this, this message the word that makes us cringe, because it still makes me cringe too. You hear evangelism, and you think of the worst person that's ever you've ever dealt with that just did the most damage that anyone could do in five minutes. When I was in college, we, we had uh, the ministers, those that were studying for the ministry, had to take a personal evangelism class back in the 70s. Four spiritual laws. It worked for somebody, so we're all going to do it. We also had to go and do a survey in the community and try to lead someone to the Lord as we're doing the survey. I was dying. I did it. God gave me a really nice person. He was friendly, and we visited. And then he finally said, son, I'm happy with my religion. But I knew that that wasn't where it was at. It isn't an organized thing. Redeemed people are sent on a redemption mission. And that's called our daily living, our daily life. It doesn't mean that we need to be nuisance, that we need to be obnoxious, but it means, to be, it means that we need to be ready to have a word for Jesus when the opportunity arises, and I'll deal more with that, with that later. Evangelism is not a program. Programs have their place. It's not a project. Projects have their place in outreach. It's a life. Evangelism is simply how followers of Jesus 
interact with the world. Jesus said we're to be in the world, but not of the world. If we are following Jesus, if we are trying to live a a humble Christian life, there will be at times, not every day, not every minute, not every hour, and we don't have to worry and stress about who we're going to say what to, but there will be people that will want to ask you a question about why your life is like this. I remember years ago, during a blizzard, a co-worker of mine came to my house And I thought, well, maybe he was stuck because he lived in Galveston. And I thought, maybe he's going to, you know, ask for a room for the night. And by the image that I I, I needed to talk to you. (laughs) I thought, in a blizzard? And we sit down and he said, there was a a, a friend of mine and I that worked at the uh, psychiatric services and and mental health at Howard Community Hospital. We both uh, went to the same church and tried to, to... live godly lives, he said, I'm a Christian. I sing in a quartet, and we travel around and minister to churches, but I want to know what's different in your life than mine. You seem happier. He says, you two seem to have more joy in your life than I do. And when he left, the answer he had was, joy comes through obedience. And as we live faithful and obedient lives, we will have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Since I've been blessed, I'll be a blessing. This is the mindset of everyone that has received the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. Since I have been blessed, I'll be a blessing. Since I've been healed, I'll bring healing. Since I've been saved, I will serve Personal salvation means joining heaven's earthly mission. We're on a mission, and uh, it, it is a mission of rest. It is a mission of joy, but it is a mission of great delight when we get the opportunity to share a little nugget of our faith with someone. God pours blessing into the lives, into our lives, so we can turn around and bless others. Jesus said in John 20, 21, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. God sent Jesus on a mission of love. God sent him to suffer and bleed and die for our sins so that we could find independence from sin and self and find victory and joy and peace and most of all reconciliation to God the Father. It is a free gift but it takes humility and surrender to receive it. The surrendering of our will and accepting his will on our lives. Many well-meaning people have assumed the wrong role in the courthouse of God's kingdom. We play the part, and I'm talking about we are sent. Jesus said, uh, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And a lot of people think that we're sent to be something other than a witness. And I'd like to use the courtroom of God as as a little example. A lot of well-meaning people have assumed the wrong role in the courthouse of God's kingdom. We play the part of judge, jury, prosecuting attorney rather than an eyewitness. Jesus warned us not to judge or we will be judged in Matthew 7 verse 1. 
God alone is the judge, not us. Mark Wilson, a, a minister I referred to last time I was here that wrote a book, another book's called Purple Fish. She says there's no point in trying to size people up because souls defy measuring. Some church people see themselves as self-appointed, selected jurors, but it's not our job to convict people. The role belong, that role belongs to the Holy Spirit. There's a huge difference between conviction of the Holy Spirit and condemnation by even well-meaning people and individuals. A friend of mine who's gone on to heaven, Kathy Chisholm, we worked together uh, 40 years ago. We, were we worked together for 10 years, and she became just part of our family. She loved my wife and kids and loved me and my ministry, and God had delivered her out of a lifestyle that was just amazing, the deliverance that she had. And she celebrated that independence from sin every day of her life. And she would visit ministers and share her story. She would visit uh, people. And she was just a, a, a light. I remember when she was first working uh, on the unit, she was extremely extroverted. Uh, I'm barely across the extrovert line. And I think that's because of my calling. My preference, a good day off, is being home alone, not even going past the mailbox. I'm old, and I enjoy it. But Kathy is, is uh, in uh, uh, psychiatric terms, uh, one doctor walked on the unit and saw her, and she always talked with her hands, and she was just so laughing and happy. And he walked over to me, and he said, who is that ex uh, flaming extrovert that's... <laughs> Using so much energy of the room. I said, that is my friend and co-worker, Kathy Chisholm. She came to prayer meetings that we had at our house. And one night she called me. She said, Pastor Jerry, I, I want you to pray for me. I, I have it on my heart to go speak to a friend and, and just plant a few seeds. And I, I just, just pray that, that God will help me. So we prayed. And about an hour and a half, two hours later... <laughs> She called back, and she was wailing. She was crying. Oh, Pastor Jerry, it was horrible. She said, I went over there, and we got in an argument, and I ended up telling her she was a sinner, and she needed to do this and that. She said, it was horrible. I said, well, you didn't plant seeds. You plowed the whole field. <laughs> we need to be sensitive with, with those that are outside of the kingdom, but we need to not have our soul be so shy or use so much wisdom that we don't do anything. We are a people of excesses most of the time, and we'll either be excessively gung-ho and do a lot of damage in the, in the garden of God's will, or we'll step back and shy and not do anything and allow everything to be trampled under the, the foot of the enemy. And God desires to bring us to a balance. That's one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. need to find my place here. Others may try to assume the prosecutor's position. You're guilty, and I'm going to prove it. You ever been around people like that? You're awful, and God loves you. 
I saw a comedian and I turned it off because it just, oh, it just, it repulsed me. But the more I think about it, the more I thought, you know, there's a grain of truth to what that man was saying. He was saying, making fun of Christians, making fun of God, almost saying God doesn't exist. But Christian, overbearing Christians was what he's talking about. That they tell you that there's a, a pit of fire that's designed for you and you're going to hell and you're going to suffer forever and ever if you don't do these ten things that we tell you to. But God loves you. It's a terrible thing to think about, but sometimes religious people come across that way. The role of accusing, when we assume the role of prosecutor, we're not assuming God's role at all, and this is very serious and may strike some of you the wrong way. But rather, we're, we're assuming the enemy, the devil's role. In Revelation 12.10, if we can get it up there, says, he is the accuser. So then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his message for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. I'm thankful the enemy is a defeated foe and we don't need to do his work by accusing anyone of anything or browbeating or looking down on anyone. Amen? Well, what's our role as believers and followers of Christ? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those that have wandered around in darkness, those that have been lost, those that have had no purpose in life, those that have been tossed in storms, those that have become, uh, those that have suffered uh, illness, uh, it, it isn't, uh, illness isn't because you're sinful. Illness is because we live in a fallen world. But the reference in this was there were people that refused to surrender to the, to the will and the word of God became ill. You read the Old Testament, it happened a lot. It was used as a tool to get them back. And in their distress, they called to the Lord. You don't have to pound a gavel. You don't have to point fingers. And you certainly don't have to cast blame. All we need to do is share our story. The beautiful thing about sharing your faith story is that nobody can deny it. It isn't a canned, it isn't a canned uh, statement that you make every time someone says hello or how you doing. I know a man that has a canned statement, and I've known him for 40 years, and I still don't know anything about him because all he does is make that canned statement when you ask him how he's doing. But there are times that God will help us and help you to know, and, and, it, and at that point, there will be a shyness in your soul, and it'll want to draw back, but you'll know that God is wanting you to speak up. I was working with a young man uh, back in Oklahoma, and we were young back then. He was a teenager, and I was 20, 21, 22, I don't know. And he had gotten hurt on the job, and on the way to the hospital, he had asked me to pray for him. 
And his uh, thumb had been cut off and was completely hanging over, except just by a little piece. And I prayed. I mean, what can you do? Say, no, I ain't praying for you. I was as panicked as he was. But I prayed and asked God to come down in that, that vehicle and helped him. And before I got the prayer out, he said, God is helping me. And I looked up, opened my eyes, and I could see the anxiety and the panic just leaving him. He said, God is helping me. I, I can accept losing this thumb now. Well, God did a miracle. He didn't lose his thumb. We, life went on. And one day we were working together, and I could tell he was pretty distressed. And he said, man, I don't know what to do. He said, my life has fallen apart. He said, I found out my fiance's running around on me. We broke up. Life, life just isn't worth living. I don't know what to do. I, I, I honestly don't know what to do. And I could feel my soul struggling and wanting to back up and just go unload the truck, you know. <laughs> Don't talk to me. But I forced it out and I said, Tim, I would ask God to help you. I just asked God for help. I said, he helped me. He'll help you. If he helped me, he'll help you. And that's all I said. And all that day, I got the, the chatter in my mind, you have ruined him, you pushed him away from God, you, you're a fanatic, you da-da-da-da-da-da. And we moved to Indiana, and five years later, I'd given that man no thought at all, and he called me in the middle of the night, and he said, I'm ready to serve God. I don't know how. He said, my life's a mess, I'm miserable, I want to be a Christian and serve God, I just don't know how. And I said, Tim, if you'll tell God what you just told me, I believe he'll help you. And he began to pray instantly over the phone. Oh, God, it was such a miserable sound. He said, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I, I, my life's a mess. I'm miserable. I'm unhappy. I want to serve you. I want to be a Christian. And I don't know how. Would you help me? And then he said the next breath was, he's helping me. Praise the Lord. He's helping. I can feel his help in my heart. He's forgiven me of my sins. And I mean, it was straight up from there. God changed his life. God gave him an independence day, and he celebrated big time. I wish I had time to go into the whole story. When God gives you grace, he gives you a story. That it's inseparable. You cannot separate your grace and your salvation from God. If you do, it's not His. Amen? You cannot separate your grace and your salvation from God's. If it is, it's not His. That's straight talk. But as Mitchell said, you can't fire us. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. When we share personally and humbly, it touches hearts deeply. Tim was in distress, and it took five years for God to get a hold of his heart. I didn't have to condemn him. I didn't have to line him out. I didn't have to tell him what he should do. I just had to leave it in God's hands. We're not called to push anyone into our way of thinking, but to bear witness to what God has done for us and then leave the outcome in his hands. God can do more in seconds than we can do in a lifetime. God can do more in seconds than we can do in a lifetime. It was a second 
that God spoke to Tim's heart, lifted his sin out, and gave him peace and joy and forgiveness. Something I could never do in a lifetime. The problem is, and I'll get on another bandwagon, the problem is sometimes we want to rescue people out of their misery. We want to make them feel like they're okay, and we become the Savior rather than a servant pointing them to the Savior and saying, God can change you. God can help you. God can turn that situation around. It makes us feel good, but it keeps them lost. I wish I could repeat that again, but I can't. Evangelism is less about trying to manage an outcome as it is about sharing events and offering a redemptive alternative. We're servants, not the Savior. We point people to Jesus. I know where there's help. I'm a beggar that found food, and I can tell you where the table is full. Rather than wrestling the sinner's prayer out of someone, which somebody, some people will say anything just to get out of your headlock. You know, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Nudge them toward the undeniable truth that is alive in us. John 9, 25 gives us a great example. And I'm going to read a little more of that account. But there was a blind man there, and he was uh, brought before uh, the leader's And he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know is I was blind and now I see. They were asking him about Jesus. And he said, is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? The Pharisees were a little upset because God was working. We know he's our son, the parents said, and we know he was born blind. But how can, how can, but how He can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, but also they were pointing him because it was his story to tell, not theirs. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was Christ would be put out of the synagogue, be put out of the church. That was why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know the man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, they're talking about Jesus. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Don't you know that ruffled their feathers? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are the fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as this But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. 
the grace of God and the healing of God had come to that poor beggar man because he had responded, asked God in his distress, and it opened the door to share his story. Probably time and time and time and time again. I'd like to close with a few pointers of sharing your faith because I know it is something that is difficult for all of us. This is a very simple message, but it's something that every believer in this room needs to hear and needs to ask God to help them be willing to celebrate their independence, not just once a year. The first one is get a prayer life. Pray that God will open the doors for you to share. If you don't have a prayer life, more than likely you're not going to have a witness. Amen? Can you hear me? Prayer is what connects us to the faithfulness of God, to the love of God, to the Spirit of God, to the, to the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives through His Word that will help us be faithful and obedient people. If we don't have the Spirit of God and the, and the help from the Holy Spirit and the connection with God, we'll not know who to speak or when to speak, and we'll either do damage or we'll just draw back and say, I don't, I don't know. I'm not that way. I don't have a good connection. Well, all of us have a great connection. He died for us. He suffered and bled and died for us. He died, he rose again, and he ascended to the Father. And he's not only did that, but he's ever interceding at the right hand of the Father for all of you individually as I speak. And he sent the Holy Spirit to help us, to guide us into all truth. People, and, and oh, you're, I'm going to stir up the nest a little bit. People that don't want to embrace the truth will not embrace his word. All of you ought to shout when I say that. Those that don't want to embrace his truth will not embrace his word. Which will lead us not to pray which will lead us into an independent, self-centered salvation that is not connected to the throne of God because we've, we've ignored it and not taken advantage of what God has given us. I know this is straight. I'm not going to apologize. When you get to heaven, you'll thank me. Get a prayer life. Pray that God will open doors for you to share. Secondly, when doors open, have the courage to speak. Don't go shy on me, old soul, whatever that song goes. Thirdly, stay humble and never portray an attitude of superiority. We need to give everyone the gift of significance, letting them know they're significant to us and they're significant to the Heavenly Father. We have no reason to have an attitude of superiority. We're a beggar telling another beggar where we got the food. Fourth, keep it simple and brief. Don't share more than they want to know. I heard an evangelist say there's oceans that can be shared and only half a thimbleful that needs to be. 
If you drown someone with your testimony, they'll not be able to hear you. If you give them just a little bit of the truth, it'll leave them wanting more. Fifth, tell them what you have experienced, not what they should do. And I don't want to offend any of you, but in recovery group, we encourage people to not let people should on them. Because a lot of people try to give you advice. You should do this. You should do that. You should do that. We need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Father, study the Word, and not allow people to tell us what we should or shouldn't do, but allow the truth of God to help us. Focus on the message, Jesus Christ, not the mess. In every message, there's a mess. But we need to focus on the messenger, not the mess. My dear friend Kathy Chisholm got to focusing on the mess instead of the messenger when she went to plant the seeds. Lastly, don't engage in arguments. If they protest what you're saying, back off so the Holy Spirit can work. The blind man didn't argue with them. He just said, he answered their question. He answered their question. He answered their question. They ask questions wanting a different answer every time. And some, sometimes, if we're not careful, we can have itchy ears and we will get around people that will tell us a different answer than what is truly the truth. It'll have a partial bit of truth. But it won't have redemptive truth. We are called to serving. Outreach and evangelism so that wanderers, persons that have made poor choices, the sick and afflicted, the storm-tossed can find hope in a dark and hopeless world. If you have experienced personal salvation by grace, then join in on being his witnesses. Redeemed of the people... Redeemed people are called to a redemptive message. If they don't hear, sometimes they'll not find the answer. My barber has a, a scripture on his wall, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you not to do harm. Plans to give you hope and a future. And I made mention of it. And he said, God gave me that scripture. And that's, you know, that's a nice cliche. You know, God gave me that. I said, well, that's nice. He says, no. God gave me that scripture. I said, okay. He said, I was sitting on a bunk in prison and thinking I had no hope. I didn't know what my future led. I had no purpose. And I was wondering, what is life all about? And he said, I got a letter from someone I didn't even know. But they felt led to write me. They knew family or something. And he said, when I read that scripture, it jumped in my heart and God changed my life on that bunk that day. And I've never been the same. And he gets to celebrate his independence every time someone asks about that scripture. If you've experienced personal salvation by grace, then join in in being his witnesses. Redeemed people are called to redemptive missions. Right where we're at, with those around us, whether they're strangers or acquaintances, share your story 
find the joy of seeing people find hope. We'll never be good enough to share our story if we focus on who we are. But if we realize that we have a Redeemer that's worth celebrating, we'll be able to share it.